Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. We provide full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up to date with new developments in arboriculture. Today's talk is by David Cashman, who is an associate director of the Barrel Tree Consultancy, a planning and legal-oriented tree management practice based in the United Kingdom. He is also an Arboricultural Association registered consultant and chartered forester. This podcast features his talk, Going Underground, The Hidden Dimension Beneath London's Trees. It was originally presented at the ISA International Conference in Parramatta, Australia in July 2011. It's, um, it's really, good, really good to be here and uh, really quite an honour and a privilege. Um, so I'm very grateful to the ISA for, uh, for the invitation to come over. Um, I was particularly grateful as well when I arrived last week and you also laid on the rain. Um, which really made me feel quite homesick, I have to say. But, uh, but, but that's enough of the, um, that's enough of the, uh, of the rain and uh, enough talk about the weather, because us Brits are pretty good at that, actually. We can talk about the weather all day. Um, what I'm going to be talking about today is subterranean development, um, London's hidden dimension. Um, and this is, uh, this is quite an easy presentation. I sort of figured that we're about halfway through the conference now, and you've probably been bombarded by data and graphs and that sort of thing. So I thought this is a bit of a this is a bit of a comfortable presentation. It's very image-based. I'll be looking at some case studies, and it's quite it's quite easy. So you know, just sit back and uh, just sit back and relax, and we'll enjoy the ride. Um, one thing I would like to to, to just say before I start, um, what an honour it is for me to be here when you've you've uh, elected your President Colin, who I've known for many years, and uh, and it's just a, a fantastic privilege to be here when Colin's been elected as, as as chairman, and I know that he will serve you very well. So well done, Colin. Um, so here we've got uh, here we've got a fairly iconic or a very iconic shot here of um, of central London, and most of the sites that I'm going to be looking at and talking about today are within this central London central London area. Um, so here we've got Big Ben. Houses of Parliament, Westminster Bridge, uh, we've got Westminster Abbey in the background, and, and most of the sites are within a mile or two of around, of around central, central London. And as I say, it's a, uh, the theme is subterranean development, uh, is basements, basements beneath trees. And I'm going to be looking at why this is happening, um, why the sudden rise in, in basement development, in subterranean development, um, and some of the implications, and we'll look at some of the construction methods as well. So here's, a, here's an aerial shot. Um, so just to uh, reorientate yourself, here's, here down here we've got the, we've got the Houses of Parliament. Um, 
it's, it's a great shot, this. And we've got, we've got the Mall here leading down to, to Buckingham Palace. Uh, you may have seen that on the telly recently with Wills and Kate. They went down the Mall, down to Buckingham Palace. Um, I did get an invite, but, uh, but I had to tell Wills that I was busy that weekend. I had, a, I had the guys around for a barbie. Will's understood, but I'm not sure Kate was quite so sympathetic. Um, so one of the sites that we're going to be looking at is the Connell Hotel, which is just off Barclay Square. And it's, uh, uh, these are high-profile sites. Victoria Embankment, which is owned and uh, managed by Westminster City Council. Leicester Square. Uh, you may be more familiar with that. That's where a lot of the Hollywood film premieres are, film premieres are, are held. And, uh, and we've got a, an ongoing site there, so we'll look at that as well. And some of the basement sites are in West Kensington, which is just off this, off this slide here. This is fairly typical of some of the London mansions in, within, within central, central London. And it's interesting to, to, to look at why we've had this, this rise in, and I'm not going to keep saying subterranean development, I'm going to call it basements, you know, why we've had this rise in, in basements. Well, there's a number of, number of reasons for that. There are incredibly strict planning controls within central London. Most of these sites are within uh, building conservation areas, and most of them are listed uh, uh, historic buildings listed within their own right as well. And that can, even, that can even be to the extent where the council can control what colour you paint your front door. And you can see from this, from this slide that there's a very strong sense of architecture here. Uh, very difficult to change the character. And there's very limited scope to extend. And these, these inner London, uh, uh, centre London mansions, are just incredibly expensive. And I'm going to go on to look at land values. But one of the reasons is, is that there is just limited scope to extend. You, know, you can see from these terrace properties here that there's nowhere to go out anymore. You can't go up. You certainly can't extend sideways. And the planning laws really do restrict um, anything uh, that could affect the local character of the area. And, and that's, really led, that's really led to uh, a basement development in order to increase the square footage, to increase the living space of these, of these properties without, without, affecting the, without affecting the local character. So in recent years, we've seen basements as being the solution. Or we haven't, but householders and, uh, and uh, architects have seen this as a solution. And it's very much driven by, by land values. Uh, basements are incredibly expensive to construct uh, in normal circumstances. Uh, when you're almost retrofitting those into these really, really tight uh, 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 properties, then the construction costs are astronomical. And that really has, has traditionally has prohibited um, the, 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 the option, if you like, of, of extending beneath trees of these basements. But now what we've seen is that these, these properties in central London are absolutely rocketing. The construction methods and the cost of basements is, is, is stabilising because engineers are, are getting to grips with, with how to do this, which means that actually it's starting to stack up. And it means that you know, basements, by increasing the square footage, is adding value to the, to the properties. Um, and I, you know, we're, we're focusing on London, but this is something that could be happening uh, globally in time to come. Uh, London's really reached critical mass. It's very difficult. There's very, very little scope for any new dwellings. 
Um, and that's going to be a similar theme in some of the cities uh, uh, that, we see, that we see around the world. One other factor as, as well is that these properties, although they're, they're, they're large, they're three, four storeys, they've got very small back gardens, very small rear gardens. So even any, any uh, option to extend out the back would limit the rear garden space. And us Brits are funny. The last couple of years, we've actually started to enjoy our outdoor space. You know, you, you guys from North America and, and, and Australia have been doing that for years. But, um, you know, uh, even a couple of my neighbours have got barbies now, and we enjoy the outdoor living space. So any sort of extension that reduces this already small living sp uh, uh, outdoor space um, is a problem. So it's all adding up to basements being the solution. So it's interesting to see that even in this sort of global downturn that we've had in recent years, within some, some cities across the globe, we've seen fairly astronomical rises um, of, of properties. So let's just have a look at this. This, is a, this was a Savile's um, uh, commission Dow Jones to look at the world's most valuable addresses. Um, and this is quite interesting. And it's 2010. Um, I've converted uh, from sterling into Australian dollars. Um, it's not 100% accurate, but it just gives us an idea, an indication of the, of the sort of property prices that we're looking at in these inner cities across the, across the globe. So coming in at number eight, Sydney, Point Piper. Uh, I think it was Wolseley Road, for those of you that are local. And I read $33 million of property sold for there. Um, so that's coming in. Point Piper in, in Sydney is coming in at a cool $20,000 per square metre. Moscow, number seven, 30,000 Australian dollars per square metre. Astronomical. Number six, anyone? Geneva, 35,000. Number five is New York, unsurprisingly, at $50,000 per square metre. South of France, $60,000 per square metre. Incredible prices. Monaco, not I, I think unsurprising. But you see a theme here. There's very limited space in all of these, in all of these cities. Number two, Hong Kong. So who's going to guess number one? <laughs> hey, look, we've got to be top at something. We can't, we're no good at cricket. We're no good at rugby. Give me a break, you know? Number one, Hyde Park in central London. Uh, recently sold for, it was $100,000, uh, Australian dollars per square metre. So, so what does that buy you in central London? You know, three metres, three metres, you know... Um, what would that buy? What would you get for a million pound in central London? <laughs> now I'm told that that's a pretty expensive dunny. But what that does, that shows that, that, that we as ARBs can actually add value to some of these projects that I'm going to look at. Because when we're in a position where we can, we can actually um, gain an extra square metre in these areas, then actually our fees are, are minuscule compared to what we can actually achieve. So it's putting us in a very strong position. So let's just look at where this is all going on national guidance. Um, probably quite similar to, to the, the Australian planning laws from what I understand. We, we have very established planning laws in the UK. Uh, the Town and Country Planning Act is the, is the umbrella uh, piece of legislation 
that, that covers, the, covers the legislation for the whole country. Then it cascades down into the, into the local level. But let's just have a look at this. It will be the duty of the local planning authority that when granting planning permission, that they impose conditions, planning conditions, for the preservation or the planting of trees. And that's a very strong document. And they're very strong words. Tested at appeal. Um, and there is a clear duty on councils. They can't ignore it. There's a clear duty. Sometimes they do. But even when they do, sometimes they're, they're um, uh, taken to ombudsman. So, you know, they can't just ignore this. There's a, a clear duty for the council um, to allow for the preservation by the use of tree preservation orders um, or the planting and planting of trees. So when we come down to the, to the local level, um, each council then across the UK can start to look at what's happening at a local level um, on, the, on the ground. Because what's happening, for example, in the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea is going to be quite different to what's happening in, in, in rural Dorset. Um, and in 2009, the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea published a... Uh, a subterranean development planning guidance, a planning document, um, because there was this massive rise. In 2003 in Kensington, uh, there were 60 subterranean um, planning applications. In 2010, there's been over 200. Um, so the council, you know, started to realise that, you know, there is this increase, there's a lot of things that could go wrong, so they wanted to have some control and provide some guidance to architects, the, the applicants, um, and particularly the engineers. Subterranean development is a direct result of the lack of land, pressure for development, high land values, the strict planning controls, and limited opportunity for extensions. So the council have recognised that you know, this is happening. But it goes on to say, and this is quite important, it provides a better alternative for increasing the size of existing dwellings without the burden, cost burden of moving. Um, which could compromise the character and appearance of the area. So, in effect, what the council are doing here is saying, actually, if you put these buildings underground, we're preserving the character of the area. We're reducing the amount of built form above ground, um, which, is quite, which is quite encouraging. And the uh, uh, um, SPD here, the Subterranean Development Planning Guidance, goes on to list you know, the criteria that applicants need to consider uh, and the information that they need to submit as part of the... Uh, planning application, and that includes trees. So what sort of technical guidance have we got when we're advising the designers? And the design team that I'll be talking about here usually comprises of the architect, a planning consultant, and the engineer, and ARBs. And, you know, generally we're giving constraints advice to, to, the, uh, to the designers, to the architects, on, on how close, really, they can build to a tree. That's pretty much it. And we've had the, the British Standard 5837, which has been around for some time. It, it's a well-established document. Uh, it was reviewed in 2005, and it's under review again at the moment. And we've really got to grips with this. There's some great stuff in here. You know, it's well-established. And you've got your AS as well, um, which from talking to people here, I understand is sort of starting to, to, to kick in. Um, but really, when we're looking at basement development, it's really outside the scope of the, of the British standard. So we haven't got anything that we can actually say, you know, here it is, this is how far you can build to the tree. So one of the key, the key elements of the, of the British standard, and I know of your IS as well, is the root protection zone. And that's a two-dimensional two distance. You know, when everyone giving uh, 
a tree constraints advice to an architect. They just want to know two things, really. Do I have to keep the tree, and how close can I build to it? Simple as that. And this, the, the British standard is very good at that. The way that the, the root protection zones are, are calculated is, 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 is excellent. But it is a two-dimensional zone. It gives, of, of, and quite rightly, it doesn't give us anything in terms of you know, that three-dimensional depth beneath the, beneath the root plate. So we've got to look at other areas um, for, for that sort of guidance. And really, you know, this is fairly top-end stuff. You have to draw on your, your years of experience and judgment and some of the case studies that you've, you've worked on in the past. Even the uh, uh, council SPD, the Kensington SPD, uh, shies away and sidesteps from giving a minimum depth of the basement beneath the tree. So we've got no guidance on depth. And it's of limited use for, for, for basements. We have, in recent years, as I say, really got to grips with construction within root protection zones. Um, and we're pretty good at that now. And this is a site, when I say we, I'm talking about ARVs generally. You know, we, we, we know the techniques and the British standard um, reflects this and gives guidance on this. We know the sort of techniques when uh, constructing on top of the root protection zone, uh, you know, piling, uh, keeping a suspended floor, redirecting rainwater, all of these issues. Um, and this is, a, this is a wonderful property. We, we secured or helped to secure a planning consent on this about a year ago, and it's down in Dorset, um, and it's just wonderful, you know, and it, it's way within the root protection zone. So we got to grips with that, um, but uh, now we're going underneath. I talked to many, many groups across the UK, um, mainly architects and, 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 and uh, structural engineers, about tree issues. You know, I, I often get to, we all get together with groups of arms and we moan about the other professions. You know, we're very good at that. You know, engineers don't understand us. You know, architects don't understand us. You know, but what do we actually do about that? We really do very little. You know, we preach to each other, and most of the time we know what we're doing. So we actually invest an awful lot of time and energy, and we go and talk to, talk to engineers. Um, you know, we get them on board. If we're going to be part of these design teams, we've got to learn to speak their speak. They need to understand us, we need to understand them, and they need to understand th the way trees grow. And we need to do that in a fairly simplistic way. So I usually show this slide to, a, to a, a groups of engineers, and I've been doing this regularly for the last couple of years. And the first question I'll pose to them is, you know, here we've got a tree. What do you think is happening below the ground? What do you think the root system is doing? Now you tell me, what do you think they say? Mirror image. 99% of the engineers that I talk to and show this slide um, will say, yes, that's what we see. And I say, great. So that's how you, that's how you, that's how you think a tree grows. They say, yeah, absolutely. You know, it has to have, in order to stay up, it's got to have these great big roots down there. And I'd say probably without fail, as I say, 99% of engineers will give me that answer. So then, of course, what we all know, because we're arms, you know, this is the, this is the reality. And that's usually quite a shock to them, um, especially when we're looking at conventional development of how we can build foundations. You know, because everything we do in that root protection zone, even putting in paths and walls, as all, could all have an impact on the, on the root system, as we know. And that's usually quite a surprise to them. Um, but we're looking at underground, so we've got to really try and make a, an assessment 
and provide guidance to these, uh, these guys on, on that, on what is the, an acceptable or reasonable depth that we can put a building under without any impact on the trees. And there's a lot of pressure when you're working at this sort of level um, with these sort of land values um, for, to, to try and maximise the space. You know, we get it, you know, can't we just go a bit closer to the tree? You know, that one metre, that's going to buy me an awful lot. You know, another two metres, you know, and we're done, you know. Another three metres and we're really there. And it's the same with going underneath. You know, well, you know, we could actually get, we could actually get a boiler room or staff quarters, you know, in this. So there's an awful lot of pressure. We know about the root in depth. As I say, we're arms. We've known that for some time. This is the uh, forestry research note from the UK. And we've known this as far back as 95. Um, but a lot of the people that we're interacting with and interfacing with the other professionals on a daily basis um, are really not aware of that. And I think it is up to us you know, as an industry, um, to, to make the effort to, to um, engage with them. We see it every day on development sites. You see it, um, uh, you know, where tree roots are exposed. You know, the vast majority of cases, the roots are in that top one metre, one metre of soil. So we know that that's a pretty good starting point when providing that sort of guidance to the, to the developers. Um, I'm incredibly grateful to Adam, Adam Tom. You here, Adam? Thanks, Adam. Um, I'm incredibly grateful to Adam for this, this brilliant picture. Um, and jump in, Adam, if I've got the facts wrong here. But this is a white fig on the Gold Coast that Adam moved a few years ago, several years ago. And there's a, there's a, a brilliant connection between moving big trees and putting basements under trees. You know, the construction methods are incredibly similar. We're almost doing the same operation without realising it. Um, and I've got some good shots to show you. So, but just look at this white fig. I mean, it, it, it amazes me. You know, I mean, all of you guys that can do this, you know, because uh, it, it's, just, uh, it, it's just phenomenal. Um, but look how shallow that root plate is. Um, and I know that that will vary from soil type to soil type and tree to tree. But generally speaking, I think, you know, we can agree that that's, um, that, that's generally the way it is. Um, and this is, a, this is a really, really good shot here. You know, you could walk underneath that. Well, I could anyway, because I'm really short. Adam couldn't, believe me, but I could. Um, and and uh, one other point to notice, and I'll come back to this. Can you see the pipes in there, the pipes, pipe work? You know, which, in effect, what you're doing is cheese, you know, cheese wiring under the, the root plate and picking it up and moving it. Adam doesn't use the machine. He does it himself. Um, but the similarities, as I say, with construction of basements beneath trees is, um, is remarkably, remarkably similar. So there we've got the root plate of that, of that white fig. I want to look at a site now, the Connaught Hotel. Um, this technically isn't subterranean development, but this, there was so much uh, construction going on around these uh, couple of London plane trees that we drew an awful lot of information. We learned a lot from this site in the way that uh, tree roots grow in different situations, different scenarios in London. Um, it's just up, uh, just up off of Berkeley Square, uh, the Connell Hotel um, is quite a famous hotel, and we've got, dismissed the tree in the middle, that, that's actually gone, but we've got these two London plane trees sitting within this, this island. Um, and the idea was to build um, a, a, a top end, a high class water feature, a, 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 a big pond, um, uh, around these trees. Um, and as you can see, these trees are growing in, in the harshest of conditions. And you've probably all got trees like this in your you know, streets and, and cities that you're, you're dealing with. 
you know, and I've been looking at trees for a long, long time, and I still look at trees like this and think, you know, you're breaking every rule in the book. You know, how are you looking as good as you are? Um, one of the trees even had, uh, even had some structural defects there. It was checked out very closely, but there was so much political pressure. Um, these trees became incredibly political that at all costs, these trees had to, had to be retained. So the first job was, you know, finding out where the roots are, stripping off the, uh, the pavement, getting rid of the existing street furniture there. Um, and we were instructed and commissioned to, to oversee this and work you know, very closely with the, uh, uh, with the engineers and also the guys on the ground. And you mustn't forget that, the guys on the ground, they're the ones with the spades. You know, it's all very well having good plans, good reports, uh, planning conditions, tree preservation orders, but unless you can engage with these guys on the ground, it's a lost cause. So it looks fairly serene there, um, they started work, they put the boarding, the hoarding around there. Um, but when you look inside, it was just a hive of, of activity. You know, everywhere, every second um, of every working day that they were working on this project, there was the potential to, to cause some major damage. Um, so very, very difficult. You know, you can see here they're starting to put the ring beam in for this, um, for this big water feature. Uh, they've individually wrapped the trees to protect the stems. Um, and they're coming across all sorts, of all sorts of things. You know, you'd think that a city like London, you'd know exactly what's beneath the ground. But there are services there that nobody knows about. You know, it's incredibly poorly mapped. Um, and another thing that you have to be careful of is uh, bombs, is unexploded bombs. Yeah. It's not that unusual to still come across them. When I was contracting, you know, many years ago in central London, you were dis, you know, dismantling big trees. It wasn't that unusual to come across shrapnel um, in, the, in the trees. Um, so yeah, unexploded bombs you've got to be a bit careful of. Um, you should see these guys run when they find one. Um, so um, let's carry on with this. You know, this all, this all looks fairly crude and basic, um, but here a you know, major route was exposed from this, uh, from this London plane tree here, built a platform over it. Um, it it's difficult to keep up with these guys on, these guys on site. But this was kind of a surprise. Uh, this excavation here was to house the reservoir for the, um, for the water feature. And that guy there sitting about three and a half meters below the, below the existing ground level. And there were roots this size of this London plane tree, massive roots. Um, and it's really quite unusual in London because there's been so much disruption underground over the years that you've got these pockets of brick rubble, that's aerated, that water gets into and moves in laterally, you know, which is, which is really good growing environment for these planes, you know, and, uh, and they'll proliferate there. So suddenly I'm thinking, you know, this shallow root system, it's out the window. You know, imagine if we put a basement under here, it's a big problem. You know, it's, uh, it's very difficult to, um, uh, to judge and assess. So you can see here it's taking shape. Oh, just one thing, um, just about there where my cursor is, is where that... Uh, excavation that we just looked at is. So it's that far away from that plane tree. And these are not massive plane trees, but the root system was, in, was incredible on that. And there had to be an awful lot of flexibility on this site because as we were finding roots, that was dictating where the piles were going to be situated to support the, support the ring beam. Um, so once all of that was done, they started to build this, um, uh, this framework uh, which took place quite quickly. This was a very quick build here, um, retaining these two trees. And it's quite interesting, the change of attitude 
from everybody in the design team who initially saw these trees as just an expensive negative. But as it started to take shape, you could see that actually the trees were an integral part of this scheme. And there it is finished. It was literally only opened a, about a month ago. Um, and it's really quite an impressive, uh, quite an impressive water feature there. Um, but we often moan that we're left out the loop as ARBs in development teams. Um, but we weren't left out the loop on this one. We were heavily involved. Um, but with that comes a price. Because if these trees die in two years' time, I'm changing jobs. So, you know, your neck's on the line when it comes to this sort of thing. There's really nowhere to, nowhere to, to, to hide. Victoria Embankment, only about a mile away from the Connaught Hotel. Uh, lovely gardens, uh, uh, just on the edge of the Thames, heavily used by the, by the public. Um, really, really lovely, lovely place to be in the summer. Um, some lovely big London plane trees, 25, 30 metre London plane trees. And growing in quite a different scenario to the trees at the Connaught Hotel. Um, where you know, those trees had hard surfacing, hard standing all around them. You know, these, are, these are pretty much open grown, um, which is unusual for a site so close to, to central London. Um, and you think there's really, there can't be much under that. You know, there may be some services, there's a footpath. Um, but you know, I was really surprised to know that the, uh, the district line of the London Underground, uh, the roof of the tube was just under a metre beneath the centre of the stem of one of those trees. In fact, five of those trees in a row. So you've got the London Underground, you know, a metre beneath these 25-metre plane trees. Um, so that's pretty, you know, that's not much, is it? And London Underground, interesting, I, I won't dwell on this, but the, the issue here was that uh, London Underground Limited uh, do regular checks of their I-beams that support, their, support their, uh, the roof of the tube. Um, and they looked at these and they said, Phew, you know, that's pretty close. These trees, 60, 70 tonne trees, they're putting an awful lot of pressure on here. We want to fell them. We want you, the council, to fell them. Um, and they're a statutory undertaker, so they can actually just serve notice and say, you must do this. And quite, quite clearly, Westminster Council were very concerned about that because these are, these are good quality trees. They're really important trees. But what the engineers have done, they've actually taken the point of loading down as almost like a fence post and taken no consideration at all of the load spreading capacity of the root plate. Um, which when we, we, we spoke to them and we pointed that out and we directed them to Mattox work amongst many, um, they said, great, okay, we'll recalculate. And they recalculated and their factor of safety came in way within the safe margin. So these trees have now been retained. Um, but I don't take the tube anymore. I'll walk. <laughs> Do you blame me? Really? You know. Um, so let's get into, let's get into basements. basements now. And this is a site in Kensington not far from Kensington Palace. And this is typical about what I was talking about earlier. Um, you know, limited rear garden. Um, bearing in mind, this house here that we're looking at um, needs full renovation. Um, and that went for about 50 million pounds sterling. Um, and it needs renovating as well. Um, one of the problems I've got with some of the shots um, on the sites that we have is that the, the clients are, we often don't know who the clients are and we have to sign them. Uh, confidentiality agreement, so it, it limits the amount of um, uh, uh, data that we can we can actually use. Um, I won't say who this guy was, but if you know Formula One, he's quite short. <laughs> Tall wife? No, okay, I shouldn't have said that. You know, but I'm sure he won't. Know. Yeah. Um, so the issue the issue here is is to get a to get a basement because this house has an existing basement under that under that tree. 
So the engineers were really good on this project, really good engineers. And once you start getting into this with engineers and they start to understand the tree requirements and you start to understand their requirements as well, it's a great working relationship. And one of the best things i found to do to an engineer is say, I bet you can't do that. And I guarantee you they'll do it. You know, these guys are, these guys are just fantastic. They really are. Um, and a lot of what we think is really quite difficult and unusual. It's fairly standard, fairly standard stuff for them. Um, so this is, uh, I'm going to run you through the, the drawings just to give you, give you an idea of the, 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 the principle of the, of the construction method for going under, going under trees. And this is, uh, this is stage one. They're pretty dull drawings, so I've just sort of animated them up a bit just to, just to bring them to life a bit. And you can see here the soil profile as well. So there's our tree. And here's, the, here's the, uh, the, the rear garden. There's the, there's the house, existing basement. Okay, so stage one is that they then excavate outside the root protection zone. And they, same as Adam does with his big trees that he moves, they press, auger, push um, pipes um, beneath the tree. Um, and we determine or we advise on what the minimum rooting depth beneath that should be. So stage one is pushing the pipes through. Okay, we've got cross section up here and a plan view there. So we go on to stage two. You can see there that we've now, in effect, sort of cut under the cut under the tree. There's the plan view. And this is the key fact here. This is the key to this. Is the is the minimum undisturbed rooting rooting depth. Um, and one thing that I was un, you know, unsure about is, you know, when these things are pushed through, you know, what happens to that rooting zone? And really interestingly, I was reading about the, uh, the earthquake in, um, in Christchurch. And the last thing you want to be doing is sort of, you know, shaking up that root plate and, and disturbing that. Um, and I spoke to the engineers about that, and they're quite com they were quite comfortable about that. And I've got an example to, to, to back that up. And I, I also spoke to Adam about that and said, you know, that hasn't been a problem. You know, those, the roots will, will remain intact. And these hydraulic presses are, are incredibly accurate, you know, to, to literally a few mil over six or seven, six or seven meters. Um, and they're used to doing this under listed buildings, you know, things where, you know, very delicate structures. Um, so actually, the engineers say, look, it's a tree, it's a piece of cake, you know. Um, so. So we then go on to, you know, we've, we've got the pipes under there, so then they, they can excavate quite straightforward, really. They start to build the frame of whatever the, of whatever the basement may be. In this particular case, it's a, it's a swimming pool. Um, a lot of them are swimming pools. Um, and then they, they backfill, they go over the top. That allows for landscaping. You've taken up no space at all in the limited rear garden, so you've got all your outdoor space, and you can plant a new tree as well. Okay? It's cool, isn't it? There's the frame. Because that was a plan view, I've just put this together just to, just to bring it to life a little bit more, because it's, a, it's an interesting concept to, to get around. So, so just on a very, very quick and basic level, this is the, this is the basement, okay? This is where it's going to go. Let's put our root plate over that. Typical root system, that slide I showed you earlier um, that had the, the rooting zone there. I've just overlaid that. And traditionally, there we've got the root protection zone, so we can protect that from the top down. That's not a problem. Don't go in there, boys, you know, leave it alone. 
Um, along comes the digger. Down he goes. Do your worst. He's getting a bit quick there, isn't he? Up to the edge of the root protection zone. And as I say, that's the traditional two-dimensional part of the root, root protection zone that we're used to. Um, but then this guy then, you know, does the, does the business, gets the jacks underneath there, starts to carry out the excavation. And what they're doing beneath that zone really isn't an issue for me. We've maintained that root protection, that minimum root protection zone under the tree. So off they go, excavating, propping as they go. Then they fit out the inside of the uh, uh, whatever it is that's going to go in there. Um, three stories, some of these basements. Three stories deep. And you know, there's a bit of a snob value to this. Well, it would be, it's bricks, isn't it? But there's a bit of a snob value to this because now it's not just how deep your basement is. It's how big your um, uh, springboard is, your diving board on your swimming pool. <laughs> so you've got neighbours coming around saying, hey, well, yes, one springboard, look at that. <laughs> it's a different world. Sorry? It's got staff quarters, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So you can see the idea here now. You can see the, you know, the concept that, that, that I'm looking at. So, so once, that, once that's built below ground, root protection zone above the ground there, um, everything goes back. And we've met, you know, the, the, the team here, the design team, who have met the criteria of the, of the planning document there. There's no built form above ground. It's not impacting on the character of the area. No impact on the listed buildings, etc., etc. Um, this is a very simplified view. Believe me, it's not as straightforward as this, but in the short time that we've got, you know, it, it's, it's just a way of demonstrating what the issues are. Um, I was in Kensington a little while ago, a couple of doors down from this site, and whenever I see these opportunities, I sort of go around and say, look, can I take a few photos? And this was great. They just started um, excavating the rear garden for a basement on this site. No trees involved, but it was a good way to see what they would do if trees weren't an issue. And there's a couple of key points here. Can you see that line about there? Well, that was the original ground level. So, excuse me, they excavate down, they shore up as they go, and they start to build this frame beneath the, um, beneath the garden. And that's the top of the digger there. So there he is down there. Um, but there's no access to a lot of these rear gardens. So that digger's just lifted over, craned over into the back garden. Um, and this guy just sits there forever and a day, just taking out bucketful. You know, it's like cold, it's really. Um, but look at this, I'm really annoyed I didn't, get the, I didn't get the shot. Can you see this conveyor belt here? On this particular site, the conveyor belt went through the house. Okay, <laughs> went through the house, out to the, the front where just a series of skips and lorries come along and take it, take, it, take it all away. And I didn't get a shot of that, which I was annoyed about. Um, but there was this a few streets down, and this is, this is typical of what they will do here, um, is just excavate conveyor belt, you know, out through the house. Incredibly disruptive, um, and you have to like your neighbours. But the council do put on very strict planning conditions in terms of you know, limiting disruption to the, uh, to, to the local residents. Um, and you can see here, the, the conveyor belt comes out through the back of the house there, um, and this is where the, the pick-up point is for the, for the muck-away lorries. I was talking about the root plate earlier and, and maintaining that stable, stable root plate. And the engineers I was working with gave me these photographs as an example. This is a site in northern France. 
And the brief to the engineers here was to get an access beneath a railway line. But the railway was a fast line and it had to remain operational. They couldn't close it. Um, and so they had to, it's exactly the same method. It's the same as what Adam's doing. It's the same as putting a basement in beneath a tree. And they used the same method, just on a larger scale, beefed it up by getting these, these massive pipe jacks in here and then excavating above. And that's really quite a good indication. If they can do that and keep a railway operational, you know, just a couple of metres above that, then again, that's a good indication that, you know, the root plate should remain undisturbed if you're, you're dealing with a basement, basement scenario. Um, so this is it underneath the railway. Um, but you're getting the idea now of this sort of construction, construction method. Um, site in Kensington, another site in Kensington, uh, just at the back of the palace. And there's a, there's a fantastic tilia, big lime tree here. Um, you can see the barriers there in terms of protecting it from the root protection zone. This is something we do quite often here in the UK. Because, uh, sorry, because space on development sites is so tight, you know, it's so difficult for the, the, the workers to, to, to operate when you've got a, a, a large root protection zone, you know, barriered off, that anything that you can give, give them um, makes the construction so much easier. And, uh, and this is within the BS, and it's a really good way of doing it, is to get the site cabins, the site huts, within that root protection zone. They sit above ground, there's no impact there on the root system, um, and actually it's very well protected. Um, and it's a, good, it's a good use of space. But this whole area here, this whole garden, um, is a basement coming out from the back of the, the existing building there. And this is a light well um, that goes down, to the, goes down to the swimming pool. So there's a, there's a closer up view there. Um, you know, and there it goes into the murky depths there. And there's our lime tree at the, at the back of that. Uh, this is it underground. This one is going to be a ballroom, a shooting range, and a swimming pool. It just beggars belief, doesn't it, really? But, you know, but it's, but it's happening, you know. And I think, the, I think the basic construction for the shell on this property was 18 million um, sterling. That's without fitting it out. So, yeah. this, was, uh, this was taken, in fact, since I've been over here, my colleague who's doing the su supervision on this site um, took this, this photograph last week, so it really is relevant um, on this site. And you can see it's starting to take shape now. You know, it's not just a big hole under the ground. Um, it's starting to take shape. That there in the distance is the, is the lime tree. That's the, the edge of it. Um, so this part of the basement here goes under the root protection zone um, of the lime tree. Um, so, you know, if, if that root protection zone there, uh, uh, it, you know, if the basement stops at that zone, I don't know, it could be £2 million worth of property that you're missing out on. Just a stone's throw from that site is uh, a site we secured planning on um, just after Christmas of this year. And this is the, the existing house above ground. There was a large 25-metre plane tree in the back garden. Um, and this is the, this is the basement. Um, you know, it's almost the tip of an iceberg, really. Um, massive, massive basement on this site. Um, and because of the root protection zone, the basement was going to stop at the back of the, back of the house there. Um, because that's the traditional way that we would look at it. But you see what we've done here, um, working with the engineers. We've maintained this two and a half metre zone here. Um, and this was really important for the client, because he needed... I said to him, can't you just make the swimming pool a bit shorter? And he said, no, no, no. He needs to do so many lengths a morning. 
you know, of the swimming pool, and it has to be a certain length. Um, but, you know, there you go. So, there it is. And what's interesting here, this tree, by the way, is set much further back, so it's actually out the frame. But this is the driveway to the front of the house, and just there is the road. So this basement goes right up bang to the edge of the road. So they're maximizing sort of every square inch um, of built form that they, that they can. So there you go, that's how big it is. And often, because the gardens are so small, the root protection zone, um, you can't dig that reception pit for the hydraulic press. So very often, they're having to work from within the footprint of the existing building. And if there isn't a basement there, they just dig under the building, underpin, and then excavate out under there. So incredibly disruptive. Um, yeah, these are, these are the visuals. So uh, a swimming pool, gymnasium, and a cinema. Um, along with the staff quarters. I'm going back to this tree that we, we looked at earlier um, because it's, it's quite unusual. It's quite unusual to be able to put an absolute guaranteed value on a tree. You know, we, we've got all the, you know, North American guys are great at, 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 at giving a valuation in terms of amenity but it's quite unusual to be able to give a definitive value of a tree. And on this site, once planning was, um, was granted, straight away the quantity surveyors get a hold of this and start you know, looking at the minute detail of the, of the construction costs. And the cost for retaining that tree and altering what they would ordinarily do if the tree wasn't there, so in other words, just dig a big hole, the added construction cost um, to this tree um, came in at pretty much precisely 1.5 million uh, Australian dollars. I've converted that, so give or take a couple of cents. But, but that tree suddenly is, is, is clearly valued. It's costing the project 1.5 million. So what are the ramifications of that on us ARBs? Well, if we miss something and this tree dies in a year, or somebody says, hold on, did you see that Look, all this bark's missing here? There's a big hole in this tree. And the tree has to be removed in a short space of time after the development's finished. I wouldn't be surprised if the construction team came back and said, you were negligent there. That tree cost us 1.5 million. How much to? Uh, on, on this one, it was probably around 15 million pounds. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a good price there. There's a good tag in order for the, uh, if they wanted to sue for negligence. So I'm just putting that in as a bit of a, a, bit of a sort of throwaway, really. Um, but uh, but it, is a, it, is quite, it is quite interesting. So the last site that I'm going to look at is Leicester Square. And this isn't, this isn't a basement, but it is, um, it is quite an interesting project with, with lots, of, um, uh, uh, lots of issues in terms of tree, tree retention. So, so we'll look at this one, and, uh, and, and that'll start to sort of finish me, finish me up then. Um, lovely site, Leicester Square, for those of you that, that, that may know it, um, within central London in the West End, heavily used by the public, uh, fantastic plane trees on there, which are a, a, a major, major landscape feature. And the council are uh, carrying out a major redevelopment of the gardens. Um, lots of work going on, the footpaths coming up, new granite seating going in, major, major disruption. And along with um, lighting, 
the garden to get uplighters up into the trees. And this is all centred around the premieres, the film premieres at Leicester Square. And they also need lots of rigging points uh, within the gardens for the, uh, the temporary um, film crews and that sort of thing. Um, so I've been going up here looking at this and working with the, the, the construction team on this and advising them on uh, uh, some of the uh, trenching methods uh, since January of this year. So we've been up here on a regular basis. Uh, once a week, I've been visiting this site. Lovely, lovely grounds, really good. Um, very heavily used. This was great, actually. When I took this photo, it wasn't until I got back, I realised I caught this drunk. Can you see him there? <laughs> Don't matter where you go, does it, really? It's only about 10 o'clock in the morning. Over he went. Wow. Bless him. I'm sure he's okay. He's in a good area anyway. Um, IT failure. We can build basements, but we can't move them on. Sorry, bear with me, chaps. There we go. That's that. So here we've got, here we've got the outside of, of Leicester Square. And again, a bit like the Connaught Hotel that we looked at earlier. Um, we've got the holding all the way around here. Um, and again, you know, because we've, because we've taken on the role of supervising this, you know, the pressure's on here. You know, we can't blame the engineers for not getting us involved. You know, the, the pressure's on here to make sure that in, in a year, two years, five years' time, um, that these trees are, are still looking as good as they, as they are now. So, as I say, regular visits up here. Um, and this was really interesting because there was very, very detailed plans and reports and methodology about how you're going to put this trench in, how you're going to put this granite seat in within the root protection zone. Um, do you know what? That's all gone out the window. You know, because there's so much activity going on up there. And it would be easy for me to turn around and say, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. But it's going to happen anyway. So, you know, as experts, we've got to be really quite dynamic and come up with solutions on the hoof. You know, we've got to be realistic about some of the way uh, the pressures on these guys and the way that these, um, these sites are operating. Um, lots of trenching, um, nothing unusual about that. You know, typical just use of air spade, um, uh, hand digging, supervision. Uh, and it's all gone pretty well. Um, but it was a surprise to me, because I've been involved in this site for so long and on a regular basis, I really did get to know the, the guys on the ground with the spades. And it's quite interesting, on these really sort of, you know, intense development sites, when you're a guy on the ground with a spade, just two things happen to you. You're either ignored or you're sacked, you know? Nobody ever goes up to them and says, you know, you're doing a really good job there. It's a really important job. And it was just really interesting on a you know, sort of human perspective because I saw these guys sort of saying, you know, what do you mean we're digging a trench? Saying, no, no, I don't care what else is going on around here. You know, what you do is going to have a lasting impact. And, and what you're doing is protecting these trees. And I could see the change in them. And they really took care. Um, and it was, uh, it was great. It was really good to, it's really been a good site to, to be involved in. I just hope the trees survive. <laughs> One thing I didn't know, and this was, the, this was really the point of this slide, is that, is that under these plane trees is a substation. And I didn't know until I was up there one day and I saw this, it was almost like a spacecraft, this big hydraulic arm coming up out the ground like this. And I said to one of the guys, you know, what's going on? What's under here? And he said, oh, it's a substation for West London. Um, and it sits about 600 mil beneath these plane trees. So literally, the top, the roof of this substation is about 600 mil beneath these plane trees. Um, and it's as deep, it's so deep, apparently you could get three double-decker buses, one on top of the other. 
um, in, this, um, in this substation. So just an aside, really, but just incredible uh, resilience of the way some of these London, London plane trees uh, are growing and in terms of what they're growing on top of. So again, you know, just meeting guys on site, just being there, having a presence. Um, here we are back to that slide. It's really our job to make sure that when Tom Cruise comes back for his next film premiere, that those trees look, um, look as good as they, do, as they do today. So the theme of really what I've been talking about here, I think, is that, is that it, my view is that now ARBs are leading the way. For a long time, on a lot of conventional development projects, we've played second fiddle to the architects, to the planning consultants, uh, to everybody else, and we've almost been a bit of a nuisance, you know? Something the council needs, you know, you take, you, oh, better phone the tree guys, yeah, we're about to submit the planning application, yeah, report tomorrow, is that okay? You know, and, and that's, you know, we've, we've reacted to that, and we all work with that, and that happens, you know, that's real life, and it still happens all the time on a daily basis to us. Um, but there are, there are some good guys out there now, some good consultants, Colin's team are doing these sorts of projects as well. You know, there are some top-end consultants involved in these sorts of projects. And for the first time, I think, we've been able to lead the way. We've been able to actually um, uh, have some real added value and a quantified value on these, on these projects. Because the traditional way that these teams work, um, it, well, it just doesn't work. You get all of the, all of the uh, professionals working in isolation. You produce a report, you produce a report, you do this and you do that. And then that all leads to a broken project. It just simply doesn't work. Um, and in our case, that will mean trees that fail or trees that die. And that's just really unacceptable. The best teams that we work with um, are the ones that have got some vision and foresight. The teams that regularly meet, you know, that, that, that will invest up front. Um, that will get the arborist with the engineer, with the architect, around a table. It's not cheap. It costs money to get these people together. Um, but the results are, are, are outstanding. So I think, I think that we're in a very strong position. And that's really what I wanted to come here and say, is that I think, you know, whether you're in municipal, because tree officers play a massive role in these projects. I've been looking at it from the consulting arbs role. But tree officers, you know, tree officers in central London are just superb. And they play a massive role in this. Um, it's a long word, and I don't really know what it means. But it <laughs> basically means that you work together. Um, and the projects that we're involved in, where the, 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 the leaders of these projects have got this sort of vision, um, it, it leads to a project that works. Um, and again, in our case, I think that's, um, that means healthy, retained trees. Um, so on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for your time. This concludes David Cashman's discussion on the hidden dimension beneath London's trees. If you would like to learn more about land development and tree protection during construction, you can find additional materials at the ISA Online Learning Center and web store, including the book Trees and Development and the online course Trees and Construction. If you would like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the unlock code for this quiz is SA3876. Again, SA3876.
If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country, trees you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques, whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.